This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink in the chat with a certified professional dog trainer that's going to help us navigate the evolution of canine culture. I will tell you all about her and introduce you as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel alvarez Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a pet parent, a dog trainer, a behavior consultant. She's a researcher, an entrepreneur, an adventure seeker, a coffee lover, a tea drinker, and a world traveler. She has a few acronyms behind her name. They are VSPDT, KPACTP, and CSAT. She was born in Caracas, Venezuela, immigrated to the U.S. in 1988, became an American by choice in 1993, and currently lives in Orlando, Florida. She's wife to Tom. She is mom to a human male who she says is a teen and therefore a subspecies, LOL. I am not looking forward to the teen years. So I can hear that. I feel that when you say that. His name is Aramis. And then she has a golden retriever daughter who is an adult now. And she is Anais, also known as Nisi. She's four years old. Her name is Lorena Leon Patti. And I cannot say it in English because some words just don't roll out off my tongue in English. So Lorena Leon Patti. For those who don't understand what I first said, but she is my guest today and I'm thrilled to meet her finally in person after following her for so long. She is a wealth of knowledge and welcome Lorena. It's so good to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I cannot wait to just kind of hear about your evolution as a dog trainer and dig into the current state of affairs in dog training. But before we do that, I want to introduce our drinking game today. So anybody participating in our drinking game at home, anytime you hear this word, the secret word is history. 
make sure you take a drink of whatever you're enjoying, but please be over 21 in the U.S., never drink and drive, and always drink responsibly. What's the drinking age in Venezuela? Legally, it's 18. <laughs> 18, but everybody drinks yeah. prior. They don't really enforce it. It basically, if you're old enough to ask for it, you're old enough to drink it. <laughs> I'm not letting my kids go to Venezuela anytime <laughs> soon, even though I'm sure they would have a blast. So, you know, I grew up in Ecuador and you're from Venezuela. So I think a lot of what we're going to share today is probably pretty similar, being that we are Latinas. And I recently did a show on, I did a, a show with Ayoka Bubar where we talked about diversity or the lack thereof in the pet yeah. industry. So I'm thrilled that we got two Latinas together. Oh, this is fantastic. And you know, that one thing that's been a more recent development in um, my professional life is that I was just appointed the chairperson of the inclusivity division of the Pet Professional Guild. So Wonderful. yes, that's huge. Yes. Uh, congratulations. I don't speak about the Pet Professional Guild enough. They're a wonderful organization that whenever somebody asks me if I can recommend a dog trainer, I always send them that way because it's such a great, great organization, all positive based, excellent resources there. So uh, congratulations. And I'm sure you will do an amazing job representing all of us and making sure that you reach so many more. Know, yeah. yeah, so many more people of color and underrepresented groups. So I want to know what you're drinking tonight since we are kind of, this is our first happy hour together. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I'm keeping it pretty simple. It's, uh, so I am drinking dark, dark horse. Yes, this is uh, actually my go-to. It's, um, it's really good. And then I kind of stole this from my husband, but I figured this was a good, it's solo cup. But it's got a I, nice I can't adult today. Don't make me. <laughs> I love that. I had to adult all day today and all week this week. And I just got back from the Texas Pet Sitters Conference that I am seeing. My husband immediately left on work travel. So I am having a boozy coffee with rum in it in honor of your native Venezuela. Is that kind of like the go-to over there, rum drinks? Yes, 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 absolutely. That is the way to go there. Yes. Is there a favorite rum drink that you enjoy that's purely yeah. Venezuelan? Uh, no, it's not purely Venezuelan, but it's very, very popular down there. Probably popular throughout Latin America. It's a Cuba Libre, yes. uh, which is rum and Coke. And uh, I love Cuba Libre. Yeah. And the translation for that, of course, it's a free Cuba. So um yeah, and with the way that things have developed down in Venezuela, it probably could be called uh, Venezuela Libre as well. Agreed. And Ecuador is going in the same direction. Yeah. So uh, free Latin America. So yes. cheers to you and to us having such a so so much in common. I'm so excited to finally meet you in person. Yes. Well, virtually and in person. Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> well, you have a long history in the dog training industry, which a lot of people are just kind of discovering now because of social media and TikTok and stuff. But dog training has been around for a very long time. And I am going to invite you to play a game so that we can kind of learn just how long things have been going on. And I welcome you to add any tidbits to this because I got all of this trivia from Wikipedia. And we all know yeah. that Wikipedia is, you know, it's it's contributor based. So I'm sure there's stuff that's missing or stuff that can be corrected. So are you ready to play? I am so ready. Bring it. All right. This is called Dog Training in History, and my first question is, around 127 to 116 BC, a Roman farmer documented advice on how to raise and train puppies for herding livestock. It's livestock, true or false? I'm going to say true. I would not be surprised. 
That is true. And in that time, the value of early training was already recognized. True or false? I'm going to say maybe false. It is true according to oh. Wikipedia, but Go. not to the extent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So not to the extent that we're going to discuss, but somehow they understood that the earlier you kind of worked on this hurting dog, the better its performance would be. This one's really funny just because this title is excruciatingly long. So bear with me. A book called, <laughs> listen to this, a book called Dog Breaking, the most expeditious, certain and easy method, whether great excellence or only mediocrity be required with odds and ends for those who love the dog and the gun was published in 1848. True or false? I don't think that you could, you could have contrived that title, so I'm gonna say it's true. <laughs> exactly. Some things are just beyond imagination, and that is true. It was published in 1848, and the author was W.N. Hutchinson. Have you ever heard of him in your studies? I have not. I, I, did, yes. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't do much digging because it's been a minute. So uh, 1848, I'm not really going to, you know, rely on their science. <laughs> right? That's very true. But uh, yeah, that, that also makes sense. I mean, that's where most breeds started to be selectively engineered, you know, um, artificial genetic engineering when it comes to like, humans. And, uh, yeah. So the 1850s, I think that was like a big payday for that. And definitely gun dogs are a big thing in the, uh, especially back then, as, as far as uh, the uh, British Isles um, in the UK, what's, what's today the UK. So I am also not surprised that there would, something would come out yeah. yeah, so he was like, you know, the expert back in the day. So here we go. The, the next question. Training dogs for police work originated in the U.S. True or false? I say false. Where do you think it originated? I'm thinking that probably happened uh, Germany. Good job. Perfect. Should very, change. very good. Yes, <laughs> very, very good. All right. The next question is the American Kennel Club began obedience trials in 1935. True or false? I want to say it was earlier. According to Wikipedia, it was in 1935. Did you feel like it was earlier than that? Uh, yeah, I would have thought it was, but yeah, it does. It, it makes sense. I'm not horribly surprised. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the AKC has been around longer than that, though. So mm -hmm. I guess they finally realized that, you know, dog training was a thing in, in 1935. All right. Yeah. The first the first dog training TV series started in the UK in 1980. True or false? Walkies? I'm going to say yes. That is true. Do you know who it was with? Uh, I think, uh, and this is horrible. I do not remember. I believe it was a, I believe it was a lady trainer. And good Lord, her name just flew out of my head. Barbara Woodhouse? Yes. She was known as the first international celebrity dog trainer. Isn't that so fascinating? That is incredibly fascinating. It's, and it's also surprising because that is pretty current. Right. You know? Yeah. Thank you for saying so. that. I was born in 1980. <laughs> oh, you're so, sweet child. <laughs> Very current. I like to think so too. I do. Yeah. No, no. The, the, the 80s were literally, you know, 20 years ago. As far as yeah, far. exactly. As far as I'm concerned, I agree completely. Okay, so she, Barbara Woodhouse, coined the term no bad dogs. True or false? Hmm. 
true. According to Wikipedia, that is true. And you know what's funny is I hear no bad dogs all the time. People mm -hmm. use that all the time, but you never know who coined it. So I was really excited to see that it, it is credited to Barbara Woodhouse. Who, by the way, I've never heard of until today. So I will say yeah. that we need I need to brush up on my Barbara Woodhouse. I bet you there's something on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure there is. The next one I have actually heard about, and I have actually listened to some of his seminars, Ian Dunbar discovered that dog trainers were wasting the formative puppy months and designed his training program around puppy socialization, bite inhibition, and household manners before six months sometime in the 90s. True or false? That's true. Yes, that is so That's true. It's amazing that we wasted so much time with puppies and their formative months until the, like the 90s. That's so crazy. And Ian Dunbar, I have had such, I've learned so much from his seminars. I've never oh, seen yeah. him in person, but he's great. And oh, then phenomenal. finally, you would know about this. Karen Pryor is known for her work with clicker training in dogs. True or false? True. True. Do you know that it began? Do you know how it began? No, I would love to hear it. She actually started, I believe it was, if it's not in the 1950s, in the early 60s, out in Hawaii. And she started doing the barker training with dolphins. Wow, dolphins. Dolphins. Which Mind blown. Is, right? <laughs> so she worked with dolphins, she worked with horses, and with dogs as well. But yeah, she is, yeah, just absolutely amazing. I mean, she is the one, you see the whistles that, you know, you go to any, you, know, you go to SeaWorld or pretty much any aquarium that actually does know what they're doing, you know, mm -hmm. um, they have heard a thing for that, for that information. And it's just, she's been so scientifically minded in how she does it in keeping track of things and it's that's what's really helped it go into believe it or not into the the wild animal and husbandry yes. kind of arena first and then it then it trickled down into the dogs and her book yes. don't shoot the dog of course that is a bible as far as i'm concerned that is something that that any aspiring trainer should it should be one of the first books that they read i honestly cannot cannot say enough about it that is amazing. I actually am in the process of taking a Karen Pryor course and it starts the clicker background with videos of somebody training, was it hyenas or some like some wild yeah. animal? Yeah, to come yeah. in and get there and get their meds, like their shots or their meds that they needed with the clicker. And it was so fascinating to watch because these are, you know, wild animals. So obviously yeah. pets yeah. that we can have in our home is are probably easier to train because they're already more open to these techniques. So I want to know about you. How did you get into dog training? You know, I started out totally, completely far away from the, the pet industry, quite honestly. My background is I have a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering, and I have a Master of Science in Aeronautical Science. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> totally technical, um, you know, go with hard science, what they call hard sciences that's hilarious so totally techie loving you know love i still do i still do love that technology but i've always had a soft spot for as long as i remember for dogs completely i wasn't allowed to have dogs growing up so when tom and i uh first got married and and bought our house then at that point it was okay yeah it is time i definitely want this and i was i went to our veterinarian to 
veterinarians really are like the first line of defense. I really do believe that when yes. it comes to your regular pet parent wondering, where do I go to train my dog? Well, my vet must know, you know, so they, they did refer me to a wonderful trainer who was actually using science back training. Wow. And just hearing her speak, I just got hooked. I got hooked. I started reading books on my own. This was back in 1998. So even um, the Association of Pet Dog Trainers back then was, it was a thing, just not for for that long, quite honestly. So fast forward a, a few years, dog training is like my hobby. I am yeah. literally devouring dog behavior books, anything I could get my hands on. I was lucky enough by Providence found out uh, Suzanne Clothier's book, Bones Would Rain from the Sky, which it's an entertaining read, but holy cow, it will put you in the right mind frame when it comes to relationships with, with our pets. That one, The Other End of the Leash by Patricia McConnell, PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Of course, that's another fantastic, super easy read, but oh yeah, life-changing. Absolutely. And I started noticing that I'm becoming like the expert in dogs in my friend circle. You know, they're coming to me with all sorts of questions and I'm loving it. I'm loving talking about them. I love, you know, just absolutely relish being able to share this information with them and tell them about, you know, just, you know, like, okay, what's crate training and, you know, can you do it? And uh, you name it. I mean, just, it was something that really filled me. I noticed. And it was just like a very, very fun thing. Meanwhile, in the professional world, I'm working in corporate by now. (laughs) Information technology. I am an IT refugee. And I know that I'm not the only one in the dog training industry who is such. (laughs) And I was getting burned out. I truly was. At the time, there was a lot of outsourcing going on and, you know, just really finding this crossroads where I'm just like, I'm really not enjoying my professional life at this point. And I'm like, wait a minute there's the dogs and I'm always happy doing this. Mm. So uh, I remember one day, particularly stressed out at work, I decided to just start looking and see if there was anything out there that could teach me to become a dog trainer. And the Academy of Dog Trainers came up, but at the time it was not online. It was in person in San Francisco. I'm like, well, that's out of, forget that. Yikes, Can't yeah. quite do that because <laughs> I'm in Orlando at this point. I'm going like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. So I found Animal Behavior College, and this was back in 2003. Mm. And it was a good start. It was a really, really good start. Now, the clincher for me, though, to be quite honest, was the fact that the mentor that was assigned to me was an animal keeper at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Wow. And I would say that what I learned from her completely shaped my future path. So hi, Christy, if you're listening. Oh my gosh, how lucky. I mean, people would like kill or die for an opportunity like that. That's so amazing. And Animal Behavior College put you in touch with her? Yeah, yeah. So she must have signed up as a mentor, you know, kind of like a little side hustle type thing. So we were working with shelter dogs and, uh, you know, just putting putting the, you know, the into practice what what the coursework had had laid out. I mentioned you have three acronyms behind your name. Can you tell us what those all stand for, please? Okay. So the first one that I told you about was VSPDT. That is Victoria Stowell Positively Dog Trainer. And we're a team that has been handpicked by by Victoria 
she obviously gets a lot of mail, a lot of, you know, requests for help. And there's only one of her. You know, she can't right. really, you know, kind exactly. of go, and go, go in different places. Yes. So she decided to create um, the SPDT to gather trainers that she knew were using science, not just science back, but science approved evidence-based training approaches that focused on gentle dog-friendly training. So that would avoid the use of anything that would be painful or intimidating or use any kind of bullying on dogs. Right. And of course, she's putting her name to it. So she's making darn well sure that the people that are representing her are in alignment with this. And it's just an amazing, amazing community of, of trainers. So that's one of them. It was like, a, it was a six month application process, quite honestly. I mean, really, really dove in deep. Then we flew out to Atlanta and we spent a, um, yeah, a whole weekend actually with her. And she wanted to see, all right, show me, show me what you got. Right. And yeah, I remember with me, we were at the Atlanta ASP, uh, SPCA. She grabbed a little puppy and just handed the puppy over to me. She's go on. Let's see what you can do. And it was just like, she just wanted to see us doing what we were, what we were doing. Okay. And so two things. I just want people to know that that is not her course. That's mm -mm, separate. No, separate. You guys the work. You, Academy. Right. You all are selected to act as mentors many times to the people yes. who are taking that course, right? Which I am actually, I am a faculty advisor. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I don't want people to think like, oh, she signed up for a course and got a certification. No, she was oh, handpicked. No, no, no. This is completely different. Yes. This was a show me what you got. Exactly. This is so that she can work amongst the faculty, the trainers that train those people who sign up for the certification right. course. And also, I want to know, what did you teach the puppy? More than anything, it was just getting the puppy to first feel safe with me and to okay. start to focus on me. And this little dude was just all over the place. I mean, he was just like somebody just, just wound him up and <laughs> he wasn't really responding to treats. So I'm like tennis ball. Okay. So I started doing the tennis Ooh. ball thing with him and started bouncing tennis ball. And that's what, you know, I decided to, that's the, the first line of communication that we established with that particular little puppy. And so just started teaching him little things like, you know, just like sitting and, mm -hmm. and, um, just being able to make eye contact, you know, started mm -hmm. doing that. And, you know, I was very grateful that it was a tennis ball and not something a lot more obscure because <laughs> I was <laughs> under pressure at this point. Yes. Especially for a, with a dog that's in like a kennel or shelter environment who's already oh, yeah. heightened oh, yeah. and now you're like yeah. competing with all that emotion. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So the next one was KPACTP. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that is the Karen Pryor Academy certified dog trainer okay oh, so sorry. you certified training partner training partner okay. did yes. you complete the professional course in order to get there okay yes yes and that one is i'll be honest with you that was a the amount of effort that i put into that course reminded me of grad school wow so not only just because it was hard i mean don't get me wrong i was loving this because it honestly just it really, really took a nice deep dive into operant conditioning, yes. really understanding how, just basically how, how that really, really does work. And I would say, you know, it took my training 
at least 10 notches. And that was to become a training partner. So that was a course specifically to uh, attain that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be, and what does it mean to be a training partner? Is it just like a higher level of certification or do you work on the, as well as like as a mentor and things like that? Uh, No, but that is just a higher level, higher level type of certification. It requires CEUs, continuing education units. Got it. Um, They, you know, so they, they make sure that you, you do need to stay current. So if you want to maintain that certification at the very least, you have to be absolutely current with, with all of that. So that's another thing that I absolutely love because being, being a learning type person myself, you know, it just gives me an excuse like, oh, darn, got to, got to go watch another webinar or, you know, watch <laughs> Flickr Expo Live or, oh, darn, I guess I'll go to DC. Exactly. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, I have to see all my dog trainer friends. I know a few of your dog trainer friends. I, I bet that reuniting with them is not a terrible idea. No, They're awesome. no, it, it isn't. It is. It's awesome. <laughs> it really I know. Is. So, so uh, Dale Ward, who was on the show, uh, the oh. author, she's a dog trainer and the author of Raising the Worst Dog Ever. So she is the one who introduced me to you and told me mm-hmm. that you would be great on the show. So I'm so grateful to her. So shout out to Dale. We love you, girl. Dale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So then the last one is CSAT, which honestly, I've never heard of. I've heard of the other two. Tell me what CSAT means. And that is Certified Separation Anxiety Trainer. Got it. Okay. And who certifies you? It is with the organization with Malena Demartini. Love her. She's been on the show too. Love her. Oh, good. Good. She's just absolutely just, yeah, another one. There's so many heroes in this, in, 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 in this business, in this industry. I mean, really, really knowledgeable, empathetic, just generous people. I mean, the ones that truly, truly are, I mean, they are about, yes, let's get more education out. Okay. No, I'm not going to, I'm not filing a patent on my knowledge. Right. Right. Well, I mean, sharing information makes everybody better, elevates the industry and it helps pet parents. So I always, I love when I see (laughs) dog. I have no idea what you're talking about. There's no dog barking behind me. Anyway, <laughs> dog, dog cameos, cat cameos are always welcome here. So I always love to see people sharing because that for me says that it's like a, you know, servant leadership kind of deal yes. where I know that yes. they're committed not only to their success, but the success of the industry and the people involved in the pet parents and the, the not people, the dogs. Yes. So everybody is, is represented there when you share what oh, you yeah. know and you help other people. So I have to take a break right here, but when we come back, I'm going to ask Lorena all about canine culture or dog culture, like current dog culture, what she sees online, what makes her cringe online. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms, and our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. 
Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I'm speaking with Lorena Leon Patti. Lorena Leon Patti. I'm trying my hardest because as a, as, a, as a native Spanish speaker, there are some words I just cannot say in Spanish. I can say Madrid. I can say Barcelona, but I can't say Venezuela in English. I just can't. Venezuela just does not roll off the tongue. So there, Lorena is one of those words. And I'm so excited to be speaking to Lorena, who is one of the most educated dog trainers I've ever had on the show, whom I've ever had the pleasure of meeting and who obviously has a super love of science. And she brings that love and passion for pets together with her work. So I want to get to know you a little bit better. And the first thing I'm going to ask you to do for me, this is a game I called dog culture. And I want you with my handy dandy clock here, I'm going to give you one minute to tell me about the culture you grew up with in terms of dogs, like how your culture viewed dogs in your upbringing. Are you ready to play? I am so ready to play. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. It's all yours. All right. So dogs or perros in in my case, in Venezuela, and I think really pretty much in all of Latin America, Dogs are utilitarian for the most part, especially back in the <clears throat> 70s when I was growing up. Um, <laughs> that is what they were there for. Um, then in the 80s, you started seeing a little bit more of the smaller pets that will live in the house. But for the most part, dogs were there to guard the house. And you were not to interact with those dogs. You didn't want to because the dog was supposed to be mean. Yep. The dog's supposed to not make friends with people. We don't want him making friends with people because he's supposed to chase people away. So that was that is the view back then of dogs. And I think that it's... Ah, I am done. You did it. You did, did it. it. You did it. Oh Perfect. So, okay. So, awesome job. I would completely agree with you. I grew up... I was born in Ecuador uh, in 1980. And we had... in. We, we lived in an apartment where we didn't have any, I mean, we had pets like birds and mm-hmm. stuff, which are very common down there. Mm-hmm. But the dogs that I remember being the first dogs I remember, I'm not even going to call them pets, were imported from Germany. They were like police dogs that were there to guard the property. So my dad had a factory and he had kennels and we would go to the grocery store. When I was 11, I went back for a year and I remember going to the grocery store and getting like big bones and they would make like the big bones that like the grocer didn't need and they would make yes. some weird like feed because there was no like dog food so they would make yep. some weird feed with like oatmeal or rice or like mm-hmm. big bones and they would just throw yes. it at these dogs in these kennels and if the dog found you at any point you had no chance of staying alive like this was a dog trained to hurt people yep same same impression until we moved to the u.s we didn't really have a pet dog do you think that that has changed now in 2023 in latin america you know i think in latin america there are more pet dogs but there's still the guard dog mentality a bit mm-hmm. so that hasn't really been phased out and culturally and i'm going to quote dr dr susan friedman there's the cultural fog, what a dog is supposed to be and how you're supposed to treat the dog. And it's more of, it's either more a tool 
or it's a plaything. Right. Right. Or a member of the family, like in my case, where, you know, mm-hmm. like here, my kids do not play with our pets. They cohabitate with us. We meet yes. their needs. You know what I mean? Yes. But that is definitely not the common. No. People get really excited to get a pet. And then they don't realize just all the other stuff that comes with it, or they Surprise. get a pet yes. for security. I mean, and I think that in our countries, it's so insecure that I understand yes. that, it right? Is. That's like your first barrier mm-hmm. of security for your home, your property. So I, I get yeah. it. Yeah. I feel for yeah. everybody involved, mm-hmm. but I get it. Yeah. And it is, like you said, it is a necessity. Culturally speaking, it is yes. something that we definitely living here in the states it's a lot more relaxed you don't yes. have to have your radar on as strongly right. as you do when you're down yes. there yeah. i think people don't realize that in like i can't speak for all latin american countries but in ecuador for example like calling 911 isn't really I don't reliable think we had any right I never like it's not a reliable exactly. thing <laughs> so when yeah, people say here to be avoided I correct. Mean, they were just like, there's so much corruption that you don't rely on law enforcement if it even exists in some places so Mm -hmm. you kind of had to take that personal responsibility for your security and the dog just ends up being one of those layers of security that you have for your family in your home which a lot of people in the u.s like speak like that because Mm -hmm. they think they can't rely on law enforcement they think that they need to have like an arsenal of weapons there's culture there as well yes exactly Mm -hmm. but in ecuador i feel like that was like the case for everybody that was like yes not it was it was yeah it was not the it wasn't a certain group right exactly that was just the board correct correct so how would you describe dog culture today in the u.s specifically it is a lot more varied and i think that uh different communities have a different approach to dogs. So let's see. Let's start with uh, with the Hispanic and Latin community in the United States. I think you see a little bit more of the pets are family members. For many of them, though, they can also be accessories. Yes. Just a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And there's still there there's still that view of the dog being a guard dog, but mm-hmm. it's not as strong as when I was growing up in Venezuela. So, you know, that's definitely something that I can say uh, about the Latin community. I think here in the States, depending, um, I think that there are certain communities where dogs are more definitely seen overall yes. as family members. Yes. Which is so good to see. It's it's really, really cool to see that. And then there's other communities where it's similar. It's a similar view to how mm-hmm. they're viewed in Latin America. And mm-hmm. it's also um, just historically, it's it can be something that, you know, isn't necessarily, you know, historically dogs weren't, they were used by by the dominant culture to right. subjugate. Per- so correct. there's, so there is that historical component to it. Yes. I'm not saying that, you know, th- that dogs are vilified in, in, in those communities that have that. Right that history but I think that you know they're opening up a little bit more Mm -hmm, to it mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there's still there's such an untapped resource there and representation is going to be so incredibly important to really help people realize the benefits of pet ownership and just you know just how good they really are for you but yeah there's a cultural box that definitely affects them there's Mm -hmm. the economic box as well you know, exactly. um, it is a privilege. It truly is a privilege to be able to have a pet that they can treat as, as another family member because 
it's not cheap. It's not. I just got a cat and I'm like $500 yes. in. Like I'm $500 in on, you know, nonsense, but like nonsense that protects my home from exactly. a kitten. You know what I mean? So it's not yes. nonsense. But yes, it is. It's a huge expense, even thinking like cats are easier. Well, not necessarily. I had all the stuff I needed for dogs. Now I'm getting mm -hmm. a whole other species. So now I'm investing in everything else. And I'm so happy that you brought up the history because there is a very, very good creator on Instagram whose name escapes me right now, who talks about race and dog ownership. And it's so eye opening. And I will put her um, handle right here so that those who are listening and I'll put it in the show notes can learn more because it truly is so eye-opening, like you said, that the dominant groups were using dogs against these non-dominant groups. And now there is that kind of historical generational trauma around dog ownership, which is obviously to be expected and understood. And when I interviewed oh, Ayoka yeah. Bubar, we talked about statistics and like only 30% of black households in America have pets and, you know, where everybody else, even Hispanics are over 60%. So you're looking at this huge difference. And like, as you said, the benefits of pet ownership, dog ownership, they're not being enjoyed by these communities. So I'm so happy that you mentioned that because that's such a huge part of the culture of dogs. Then it's a reality. I mean, it's a it, thing. Yeah, It truly is. And you know, one of the things that stands out to me is that a lot of these groups, these um, underserved groups in our industry, mm -hmm. they only have access to social media to mm -hmm. guide them in their dog training efforts, which is a double-edged sword because yes, oh. they're learning about dogs and they're maybe feeling like it's more accessible to them but i worry about what they're learning so what are you seeing on social media about what in terms of of learning and reaching everybody yeah you know the thing about social media is that just like the dog training industry it's really not regulated you know it's you can be you know you you can be out there and somebody can tell you that well, dogs actually came up from the middle of, you know, from the center of the earth. They were living in the tunnels, you know, and in the <laughs> hollow earth. And then they came up and they wanted to first subjugate humans. I'm making this up, by the way. Yes, 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 of course. Okay, yeah, the same conspiracy here. theories that you hear yeah. that you're like, where did people come up with this? Exactly. And anybody can put that out there. And it's really a buyer beware type thing. You have to be mm -hmm. so, so careful. It's not unlike... You know, I'm sure that the medical profession, they're just like, oh my I hate Dr. Google. I hate <laughs> yes. Dr. Google. Why are you doing this? You yes. know, that people finally go in and it's like, oh my God, you know, you should have been here, you know, six months ago, a year ago. Yeah. Well, I Googled it and it said, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, ah, <laughs> now. Exactly. So it's the same thing. And, and that's the thing is that not only is social media and the internet at large unregulated as far as that information. Yep. <laughs> no. Hot dog. I love this. to see a dog. I love to see yes. a dog. And you can tell I'm wearing shorts underneath here. So anyway. Hi, baby doll. She's so beautiful. She is. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry to have interrupted you, but when there's a dog, okay. I just, okay. So dog, as you were love. saying, Social yeah. media okay. is unregulated. Yes, it agreed. Is. And it people is. Can whatever claims they want. Exactly. Now, then to add to that, the dog training, yeah, for dog trainers and even dog behavior consultants, that's also unregulated. At least right. here in the United States, it is. Yes. And so anybody can literally, anybody could call themselves a dog trainer or dog expert. And they even go as far as calling themselves behaviorists. 
you know, there's no licensing that's required. Yeah. You know, right. nobody's really keeping, you know, keeping tabs. Uh, the FDA isn't like, you know, yeah. making sure yeah. that things are on the up and up. So anybody can call themselves a dog trainer and anybody can put up anything that they want. And, you know, the heartbreaking part of that is that there's a lot of advice currently that results in a dog that whose behavior deteriorates correct following that advice and that's what's worrying because really at the crux of this is the welfare we want the welfare of the dogs to be the best that it can be um and personally and this is for me and then also for you know many of my colleagues you know we kind of self we hold ourselves to a bigger standard where we go and we get these certifications right. and you know some certifications that are not affiliated with any one course or anything like that you know there's the pet professional guild has the ppab mm -hmm. which you know that's one of them and there's also the ccpdt that's also another you know independent credential mm -hmm. type thing but nobody has to right you're right. That's, that's, it's just the type of person, right? Like I would never call myself a dog trainer and work one-on-one -on -one and in behavior modification without certain credentials. But there are people who are like, I'm fine. I can do I'll this. do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it. Like, yeah. it's just a I matter of, I've seen the shows. Honestly, I would love to believe that some of these dog trainers have read the books and seen the shows, but I feel like they just say, I love dogs and I'm going to change this behavior. And you're like, yeah. can you try on my kids first so I can tell you if you're yeah. on the right track or not? Because exactly. it's just like parenting. People exactly. think it's a lot easier than it really is. And I feel like they do <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. The Trust way. me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. you do damage along the way, but they don't even understand oh, yeah. it well enough to understand where they can really fail. And like you said, affect the welfare of the animal. So I have two more questions for you because I could literally keep you here all day, but I'm not going to. So in terms of pet parents looking online mm -hmm. and seeing these people claiming to be dog trainers, claiming to do all these things, showing videos of how they immediately changed the mm -hmm. dog's behavior, what would you call red flags like so that they can spot these red flags and say, okay, I'm not going to follow this dog trainer. I would say that uh, a big red flag is if they say that they can have this dog fixed in X amount of time, any guarantee, anybody who's guaranteeing the results of a particular behavior that right there should give you pause. That is no different than going to a therapist say that you have a phobia or you, you know, you have some trauma, unresolved trauma, and they say, you know what, you come to me and in two weeks, it'll be like nothing ever happened. No therapist in their right mind who wants to keep their license would ever, ever say something like that. Right. And it's really the same thing applies to dog training. Behavior is behavior across the board. It's constantly changing. It's constantly responding to things that are happening. I mean, you think about Today, you might be a really relaxed person. Tomorrow, depending on what happens, you're going to be acting slightly different. It's right. That's what behavior is. So yeah, guarantees is something that immediately I would say definitely back away from. There are a couple of really, really good resources. Uh, there is an organization called AVSAB, A-V-S-A-B, which is the America, the uh, American Veterinary Associ Society for Animal Behavior. 
And they put out a very, very detailed, very well explained position statement when it comes to training. Oh, cool. Um, and these are, you know, these are actual veterinarians that have studied behavior. There's also, of course, the American College of Veterinary Behavior. Think of it as board certified specialists. So right. they're veterinarians first, and then they have to do this extra stuff to become, yes. and then they have to take a test. You know? yes. yeah. I interviewed Dr. Chris Pockle, and I'm going to link the episode right here so that you can oh learn what it took to, for him to be able to call himself a veterinary behaviorist. Because people just yes. walk around calling themselves behaviorists, and I always cringe. I'm like, if you're not a veterinarian, please don't use that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that goes for, you know, certified applied animal behaviors or associate certified applied animal behaviorists. These are people that have multiple degrees in this. I mean, this is something, you know, those are the ones that are regulated. Those are the only ones that I am aware of that, that truly are regulated per se as far as treating behavior in animals. But the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists also has the resources for pet parents that tells you what to look for in trainers. And that would be those two uh, resources. That's where I would recommend anybody who's wondering, who do I go to? Who do I listen to? I mean, these are honestly super pros. Think of it that way. They're like the super pros. Yes. Uh, This is the, you know, the Jedi master council. Yes, members yes. that will that that can definitely tell you this is what you want to look for and this is the kind of thing that you want to make sure that any trainer that you're considering following uh engaging with or you know or, or hiring this right is, these are the things that you that you want to look for yes please don't hire just anybody just because your neighbor said they were good like you're gonna spend so much money and you could actually hurt your dog or your relationship with your dog it's really just it's so discouraging sometimes when i think that people are just kind of jumping on a bandwagon spending all this money and actually getting less than they Mm -hmm. had to begin with so i i hate to think that let me ask you how you feel about any dog trainer who's using the word like respect like i make this dog Mm -hmm. respect me does does that make any kind of alarm bells go off? That one normally would raise alarms as far as I'm concerned. There is a very old another cultural fog that's been said forever and ever and ever that dogs are always jockeying for dominance in in the relationship. That's been disproven scientifically. It's been disproven. A lot of the origins of that was from a study. I believe the author was Schenk. In Germany in the 1940s, where they took, of all things, uh, they took unrelated wolves. And, you know, at the time, obviously, you know, they didn't have, you know, uh, RF tags. They, you right. know, they, they could, the technology to, you know, to really, truly really follow them in their natural environment just was not available. The only thing that they had available at that time were captive wolves, put them in a, an enclosure together, and let's observe what happens. And unbeknownst to them, what they were really seeing was the wolf version of the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> and so a lot of was behavior observed? Yes. Right. But when compared to the observations, and this is what's wonderful about science, is that, yeah, it changes because yes. they keep researching it. And yes. when things are different, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. And then that's when they present something to other scientists and the other scientists are like, all right, let me take a stab at it. I'll do exactly what you did. Let's see if I get the same results. 
Right. Hey, look at that. I think we're on to something. That is what science does. Um, It it is by nature being skeptical of things and, you know, not really giving things benefit of the doubt, like, oh, yeah, maybe that's really the case. No, they're, they're looking at like, okay, you know what, experience and what multiple people have been doing this, these are the conclusions that we are reaching. And that might also change in the future. That's part of science, you have to be able to say, okay, yeah. But at the same time, it's also about making sure that, you know, you do stick to the science at this time, of what's been found at this point, up until you prove scientific method, that things are different, stick with what has been researched. We're closer to the truth now based yes. on what we have. It's not, you know, set in stone, but this yeah. is the closest we have. So let's go with that. So instead of obedience and respect, mm-hmm. what is the goal in your mind of dog training? Building a relationship. It's building a relationship between two very different species. And this is what this is the thing is that dogs are not humans. Right. They're not even primates. Okay. I mean, talk about like two total different branches here from from evolution. And just the fact that we were able to come together and be cooperative is a small miracle in itself. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, And there's there's actually a field of study, you know, for that as well. And it's just like just absolutely mind blowing. I mean, think about it. Who in the right mind? And you have, you know, you have young kids. So imagine saying, you know what? I like that wolf. Let me go ahead and invite it in, (laughs) even though I have small children that could be his dinner. Right. (laughs) You know, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Just the fact that we it just blows my mind. Eternally grateful to uh, you know our ancestors, you know that for doing it, but for this. not knowing what in the world they were taking on. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's like okay, yeah, that was insane, but thank you. <laughs> so, I agree. <laughs> so really, you know, we have history with this species, humans mm-hmm. and dogs. The domesticated dog, Canis lupus familiaris. We have a shared history spanning thousands and thousands of years. We've essentially co-evolved. We've evolved together. We have changed them and they have changed us, mm-hmm. you know? And quite honestly, it's because there is that relationship. It's never, it, it really truly boils down to the fact that we have selected the dogs that would not eat our young, okay? <laughs> Thank goodness. Those were the ones that stuck around. Yeah, those were the ones that stuck around. So as far as dogs wanting to get the upper hand or anything like that, that's not on the radar. We've artificially selected breeding for the dogs that could care less. They just want to feel safe. They want to have shelter, food, water. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've actually evolved for for companionship as well, which is like amazing, too, if you really think about it, you know, from from that. So it isn't about jockeying for position. It isn't about the dog wanting to run the show, as it were. I think they're smarter than us in that department. They're like, yeah, you guys can do that. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Don't 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 sweat the small stuff, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you guys want to take charge? Have at it. Really training is more than just telling your dog to be obedient. It's Mm -hmm. a way of guiding our dogs on how to live in our human world. Mm -hmm. And if you really think about it, it would be no different than if a very well-meaning, very kind family from Saturn decided to beam (laughs) you up and take you over there and exactly 
the kind of things that we would be wondering, like, is that a sofa? Could I lay on it? And if you, right. you know, you're tired from that trip and you go lay on that sofa and then they all start freaking out and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Okay. I mean, these misunderstandings, yes, they're going to happen because they're dogs. They're not humans. I mean, as think about it. It takes us a lifetime of knowing how to human, right? Right, right. So yeah. expecting them to come and just know everything is unrealistic at best. So training is about, yeah, you teach them the tricks, you know, sit when I make that sound, like right. you know, down when I make that sound, whatever. But it's also teaching that communication between the two. And it's not just a one-way street. And this is really, really important. It's not about teaching the dog to respond to you. It's also teaching you to better understand your dog and respond to their needs because they are completely dependent on you. Think about it. The majority of dogs can't even use the bathroom without one of us present. Right. Absolutely. I love that so much. On that note, I love the analogy about the family and Saturn. I think I'm going to use that from now on. So how does my audience learn more about you and all the amazing things you have to offer? Thank you for asking. The easiest way is to simply go to our website. It's waggers, W-A-G-G-E-R-S, dog, D-O-G, works, W-O-R-K-S.com. Perfect. Awesome. And do you do one-on-one uh, -on -one virtual consultations? Will you take clients yes, that way? Yes, I do. So, yep, I can do it worldwide. Amazing. Thank and you actually, so much yeah, again. Yeah. Yep. I just want to propose a toast to you for taking the time to have this awesome conversation with me. Thank, thank you so you. much for sharing your knowledge. Cheers. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I just, we got to do this no. again. We'll do it in Spanish next time. Oh my gosh. If you force me, I will do it. But I, I always say like these shows are so good. I really wish I could have the time to translate them because I do feel like we're missing a whole world that could be benefiting from these conversations. <laughs> I also so want to propose a toast to my executive producer, Mark Winter. Thank you, Mark. And to our audience for joining us for these awesome conversations with these wonderful experts that I bring to you. I hand select my guests and I am so happy that Lorena agreed to be here today. Here's to a life covered in pet hair because there's no better way to live. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about Covered in Pet Hair, please visit CoveredInPetHair.com or PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for watching and I'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.